Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. As a community, we are learning the way of Jesus and serving our city. Redemption Hill is kind of different. We are a collective of micro churches that gather together on Sundays to grow and connect and worship. So don't wait anymore. Join us Sundays at Boise Friends Church in the gym at 10.30 a.m. and get connected to the community you need in this season of your life. All the details you need are at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the training and teaching time from this week's gathering. Stay tuned after the sermon for more info on how to get connected. All right, so we have been in this series, Robes, Candles, Smells, and Bells, talking about what it's like to be a nation of priests in God's kingdom right now and how we need to take hold of our um, unique calling and uh, unique place in history where God has given to all of his people this role as his mediators from God to humanity and from humanity to God. We've talked about our role as the kind of priests who offer a different kind of sacrifice. Instead of offering sacrifices of animals, we offer a living sacrifice of our bodies poured out in service to the world around us. We've talked about our role as intercessors, how as priests, God has called us to be the kind of people who pray and intercede and be his presence in a world that needs his presence to fill it. Um, And today we're going to be talking about how God's voice and how God's speaking happens through his priests, both in history and today. And I'd like to continue on our historical journey of talking about how our relationship as God's people has changed from the beginning of time to the end of time and our place in it. So we're going to start back in the garden. And when we talk about the garden of Eden, it's always, you know, we always give too much, we always pretend like we're real clear about what the garden of Eden is like. And we always, uh, we always probably overstate how important it is. And we probably also underestimate um, how, how beautiful and pure and great. The, like it's, we just don't get it. But in the Garden of Eden, God's presence was, there was no blockage between the reality of creation and God's presence. There was nothing, there was no sin that was in the way of people experiencing, Adam and Eve experiencing the reality, the fullness of God's presence. It says that they walked with him in the cool of the day, which is like a, it's a word, that word play, the cool of the day, is um, like literally walking in the spirit. When it says in the cool of the day, it's a, they use the word rock, which is wind, spirit, voice, like it was, it was God's presence, literal presence with them in the garden. And then sin enters the picture in Genesis 3, and everything changes, and east of Eden, God's presence, God's God's being with people is pretty sparse from what we can tell in the Old Testament, particularly in Genesis, between Genesis 3 and Genesis 11, when Abraham enters the picture, we see that God's presence is very limited, and what happens is sin is so powerful that it it literally makes the world an unbearable place really quickly. We see the Tower of Babel where humanity decides it wants to itself 
make a way to be God and to be connected with God through its own effort. And God strikes down Babel and the towers that they had built to reach into the heavens and pull down the power of God. And he strikes the people and spreads them out so they can't work together in their sin. They have to be, they, they have to be siloed in their sin because when they work together, their sin is even more powerful than they can imagine. But what happens in the middle of Genesis is God starts his project. After the fullness of sin is realized in the ancient world, God starts this project of reintroducing his presence to people who are hungry for it. And so we see Abraham, a man himself who was righteous and seeking God, who believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And when he took hold of the call of God to step out from his family's home in Ur and walk to a place that God would show him, it was the beginning of God separating for himself out a people who, were, who would listen, who would be present to him. We see Noah. We see this, this flood narrative that is all about God setting aside for himself a people and cleansing the world of sin. Noah hears God's voice and acts on it in this way that requires a sort of faith that we could not imagine. A hundred years of waiting for something that you've never seen before, this quote-unquote rain that God promises that will flood the earth. Noah steps into God's presence and hears his voice and does what he says. It's like a story with a really... Have you ever been jarred in the middle of a story by a third-person narrator's voice? Like where it hasn't shown up before, it's all been first and second person, and all of a sudden the third-person voice strikes in, and you're like, that was out of place. And what filmmakers do particularly is when they have no way to move the story forward, they, they use this cheap trick where they bring in a narrator's voice. That's kind of what God does throughout history where he's... He's like, well, they're just not getting it. I better just like, you know, I always think of uh, Michael Scott on The Office when he's in the deposition and he goes, line? And he, <laughs> he's, he's waiting, like it's like humanity in our sin is like, line? Like we just, we're asking God, tell us what to do. And then we see with Moses, God setting for himself a place where he will reign and be present with his people all the time. The tabernacle is this, um, picture this uh, enacted reality of God's presence coming and dwelling among his people um, to pitch his tent as a part of the community, the tabernacle, God's tent, God's home among his people. And then that first temple that they build in Jerusalem, um, the tabernacle has God's presence because they desperately need it in the desert. That was part of God's plan. Put them in the desert because they'll actually remember me. They'll, they'll constantly be in need, and so they'll stay close because they have to. And then when they build the temple in Jerusalem, of course, what happens is God's presence becomes sporadic because the people's worship becomes sporadic. Because the people's preparation, the people's celebration of God's presence becomes sporadic. Because the temple itself becomes corrupted by powers and by principalities of this world, and by human institutions that will use the temple for its own greed, for its own malice. And then in exile, God enters in again. The temple is torn down. They're spread out to the Babylonian Empire and the Assyrian Empire. And God's presence is with his people in exile. 
Why? Well, because they need it. Because they start listening, because they start paying attention, because they don't have the temple as this safety blanket to go back to at Passover and at Yom Kippur. And then the second temple comes along, and we don't, we don't have much of a sense that the second temple um, ever held God's presence. We just we don't see it in Scripture. It was um, it was built to be um, a, a supporting piece of the the new kingdom that they were trying to establish under the Maccabees. And we don't get a sense that temple ever really held God's presence. That it was, it was this, uh, this thing that they had done themselves. And then Jesus comes along, and God's presence is revealed in its wholeness. But, of course, Jesus in his bodily form, his presence is full, but it's limited to one place and to one person. So you had to be in proximity to Jesus' presence to experience God. And then, the birthday of the church on Pentecost, God's presence is literally unleashed on creation once again. Where everywhere that has been prepared for God's presence, God's Spirit fills up those spaces, which is namely not buildings and not temples, but the temples of His priesthood the people that he has set aside to be his presence in the world. And this is why we're talking about is that we as priests are meant to mediate men to God, humanity to God. We are meant to be the ones who pray for and intercede for the world that we're in. But we're also meant to be the ones who hear the voice of God and bring it into the world through our voices and through our lives. Those are what priests do. We mediate between God and man. It wasn't only priests in the Old Testament that heard God's voice. We have lay people who, um, who heard God's voice. There were lay prophets who were not priests, like Amos and Elijah and Daniel. But there were many prophets who were priests. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Samuel, Zephaniah. There were, there were many who their vocation was to attend to the presence of God in the temple and then listen to the Father. And in that space, they would do their work by paying attention to what God was doing. Now, it's really easy, um, even in, in the work that we do with Redemption Hill, to get caught up in making church happen, right? The priestly duties, the dead guy duties, the, the prayerful duties, the, the setup duties, the teardown duties, the tech duties, the worship duties. We do our duties. We show up and we make temple happen by being present. But sometimes when we focus in on why we're doing it and the duties that we take on become an act of worship where God's presence becomes alive, that's what would happen sometimes with priests. They'd be going about the duties of harvesting animals for the temple. They'd be going about their duties of um, preparing for the feast. They'd be going about their duties of cleaning and caring for the temple. And God's voice would hit them. They wouldn't be able to miss it because they were paying attention to what God was doing. 
I, I think that God has his priests be people who hear his voice, not because they're the only ones who pay attention, but because when we, when we take our vocation seriously, um, we can't help but notice what's going on around us in that way. Have you ever noticed, uh, so my father-in-law, he was, he was in charge of highway maintenance in Eastern Oregon for about 10 years. And so if you ride in a truck with him, anywhere on any road, he's going to see a hazard about two miles down the road, and he's going to tell you who did the maintenance on it, and he's going to tell you why it was poorly designed, because that's what he did. He noticed what his vocation was. Um, my dad was a carpenter and a contractor, and so you drive around town with him, and you're in a neighborhood, and he's going to point out things that are wrong with houses, and he's also going to point out houses that he worked on, because that's what you do when you're a contractor. You notice homes. Um, I work in design and I have a marketing company and so everywhere I go I notice when things are ugly. It's, it's a horrible, horrible thing but that's what I do is I notice when things are ugly and I can tell you why they're ugly and I can tell you how to make them beautiful because that's what I think about. Um, Malia, my wife, is an ear, nose, throat specialist and so when she hears stories about people struggling she goes, oh that person has and then she names some sort of disease that has to do with their throat or their ears because that's what she notices. There's this selection bias of the things that we're drawn to. We notice what we pay attention to. And for people like us, who are about the duties of the priest that the priesthood God has called us to, we should be the kind of people who notice God's voice. This is why we're talking about our vocation as priests, our primary calling and identity vocationally. Now, our, our primary identity is as sons and daughters of the living God, as, as people who belong to the kingdom. But our primary vocation in this world is we are a nation of priests, a royal, a royal priesthood, a holy nation God has set apart. And so our vocation is as priests. And today we're talking about how our priestly identity brings it with it, this role of prophet one who hears God's voice. And now this is going to get weird because the words are weird, but I, I want you to just put your, okay, just everybody settle down a little bit, okay? We're going to, you're getting into some weird space. Everybody just kind of relax their shoulders. We're going to talk about hearing God's voice. And for some of you, that's like second nature. And for some of you, you're like, uh, dude, this is weird. I grew up in a conservative Baptist church. I'm going to bail. You're feeling that? Okay, just let's all chill. No. When God speaks, he speaks in what we call an oracle. Okay? Now, this is not just matrix talk. Like an oracle is literally one who receives a message. An oracle is like a, a picture or a word or um, a message, something that is handed to us from God. And so as priests, some of our role is to be priestly mediators, the ones who are prophets, who hear from God and make known to the people what we've heard. Um, now, there, there was a movie a couple years ago, I think it was Tom Hanks, it's called News of the World, did anybody watch that? It's, it's like this cowboy, and his job in the early West was he would get newspapers from trains, and then he would ride to towns, and he would hold these readings of the newspaper in a, like a, 
an auditorium. Did anybody watch that? It was a funny little movie. It was, it was a great little movie. I liked it a lot um, because, it, because it was about him as a herald of the news. His job was to receive what was happening outside of the West. And you've got to imagine in the 1800s, in the West, you were really cut off from the world because there weren't telegraphs, there weren't newspapers that could be printed, there weren't printing presses. And so this was a lifeline to the world outside. And that's what God's prophecy is like. When he speaks his word, we're hoping for words of life from God to enter into our world. And so when we hear it, we become prophets who are heralds. Good news or bad news, people have to know. And a prophet didn't just hear it, but they did three things with this oracle, this message from God. First, they made sense of it. Okay, a prophet has this work of helping people see and understand what they're hearing. Now, it's not always the same person. Sometimes God gives us as a community a, a, a word something that he's spoken to us, and we discern together what we think that means with God's wisdom, with the Holy Spirit's presence among us. That's one of the things we do is we receive a word from God, and we interpret it together, not just based on our experience of this word that we receive, but we take God's word and we say, where do we see this word come from? How does it connect with the history of how God has revealed himself? How does it show up in the New Testament, the Old Testament? And does it align with God's teaching? Because if some word from God directly contradicts God's calling and God's commandment, then we set that word aside and we say, that was something else. That was not from God. Because we have this true north of the word of God revealed in the person of Jesus through the story of God in humanity. That's why we grab hold of it. So, a prophet receives a word from God and interprets it. And then they have kind of two roles. The first is they live out the word of God as a prophetic example to the world around them. So if you receive a word from God, first, it's for you. It's something he has given you to take hold of and that it should shape your life. So if God tells you to set aside some sin. Now, it's easy to go, I need to tell the world about this. But the hard thing you really need to do is you need to stop doing that sin, right? And that's why we start with this enacted prophecy where we live it out. And sometimes God uses that to be a, a voice calling from the wilderness to a world where we talk about how we as a nation of priests are a peculiar kind of people because we look different than the world around us. This is what we're talking about. When God gives us words, we live it out. Now, we've got some crazy examples from the Bible. Um, there's one of my favorites is Hosea was this minor prophet. And God wanted to make a point about how the nation of Israel was like a whore, which is a tough message to hear. Uh, you got to imagine, you know, as a prophet, you, you, you don't want to give that message. You know, you guys are a bunch of whores. You know, like that's it's a tough sell. Um, it's a tough sell to say to anybody, let alone, you know, a nation of people. And so what does God have Hosea do? He goes, buddy, I'm sorry, but this is what you got to do. And he says, I want you to marry a prostitute, a prostitute who's committed to her work. I want you to get out there and marry her and make a commitment to her and be faithful to her. And then I want the world around to see what that prostitute does to you. 
And so Hosea enacts the very reality of what's happening between God the Father and his people Israel by marrying a prostitute. And then she would go out night after night and sell her body to whatever came along that was willing to pay for it. And Hosea would cry out in pain over and over again, God, must I suffer? Sometimes that's the prophetic work of our job as priests is to live out the suffering that God calls us to. And so God's words are not always these words of victory. Sometimes there's these words where we're called to enter into suffering so that the world will see the truth of God's hope in suffering. So we're supposed to illustrate um, and make sense of interpreting God's, God's word. We're supposed to live it out as a prophetic example. We see John the Baptist doing that, where he is supposed to be Elijah, and so what does he do? He goes out in the desert, he eats locusts and honey, and he wears like basically a sack. He was basically naked with a sackcloth and loincloth. It was he was a weird dude. John was a weird dude, but he was called to be this example so that people would see that he was the word of Elijah coming to prepare the way for the king who was to come. Sometimes God has us enact and live out those things. Now, I don't know for you if that's going to be locusts and honey or if that's going to be marrying a prostitute. I don't know. I'd, I'd bet that those are pretty stark examples and it's unlikely to be what God calls you to, but it may be a part of what God calls you to it will probably look more like God calls our community to radical obedience in service to others. And it starts with you as a priest hearing God's voice and doing what he says. We talk a lot about that's, that's the foundational work of our community is we hear God's voice and we do what he says. We live out the gospel that Jesus proclaimed that his kingdom is here and so we're going to repent and believe the good news. We're, we're going to always be hearing God's voice and doing what he calls us to. And so primarily that enacted work for you is to do the thing God tells you to do. It's little things. It's daily things. It's not always the big things. How are you living out? Um, for me, God has been telling me to get out of one of the jobs I've been doing. It was a client of my business, and he, he'd been kind of poking at me for six months, and he just said, here's an opportunity. Step away from it. And I finally listened, and it opened up some space for me to hear God's voice and experience him because I listened to my father. I did what he said. So we interpret the word of God. We live it out, and then we proclaim what God said to the people God has given it to. Now, not all prophecy, not all words from God are for everybody. Some of them are for particular people. Some of them are for particular groups. And so we're listening to God's voice, and we're also doing what we call double listening or spiritual listening, where when we're talking with somebody, we're hearing what's happening in their life, and we're hearing the stories that they're telling, and we're listening to the Father about what he has to say to them. And then we hand them the voice of God softly. You know why? Because people are stiff-necked, and they're slow to listen. And so we don't, we don't tell them, thus says the Lord, and you better do what I say, because that's a form of coercive power where people use the idea of the voice of God to get people to obey so that we feel better about how their lives are going. 
That's not how God's voice works. God's voice is something where he gives it to us as a gift and we give it away as a gift. And we entrust that they, they will hear from God as well. Our priestly role is to open up those conduits, those channels of God's grace through his word. Now, we also have to be thinking about when we proclaim what God said, what kind of things does God say in his voice? Now, he doesn't, he doesn't talk about everything. He doesn't talk about, primarily he doesn't talk about how to make things happen. It's pretty rare where he gives the, the how-tos. He gives a direction and a calling, and then he challenges you to listen along the way, to be present to him, and then to have the way that we enter into his calling be shaped by his values and his design and his callings in his scripture. Okay? So when we listen to God's voice, we're going to go out and we're going to do what he says. But when we hear God's voice, it, it sounds, I don't, know, I don't know how many of you hear regularly from God. I'm betting about probably half of you are like, I've never heard God's voice. And half of you are like, I, I might have heard it a few times in my life. And there's a few of you who are trying to attune your ears to hear God's voice regularly. But this is what it, like when we, are, we became God's people and his Holy Spirit flowed into us, it became this like direct line. This is the, the Kremlin red phone, right, right to the Father. There's, there's, there's no operators in between. It's a direct line to the Father by his Spirit. And when, when we're listening to his voice, we, we need to know what, what his voice sounds like because a lot of times it sounds like us, Right? Like when we try to listen to the Father, it sounds like our own internal voice. And I'll, I'll tell you, his, his voice sounds different than ours. And, and here's how it sounds different. Um, yeah. Here's how it sounds. Uh, okay, hold on. Let me make sure I... Uh, I'm going longer than I said I would. All right. Okay, clap if you want me to keep going. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel like Tinkerbell. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's jump back in. Okay, Acts chapter 2. I don't have this on the screen, so you're going to want to open up. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Um, we read a passage earlier today. We had Alyssa read from Joel. And it was this message, this oracle, about what will happen when the kingdom comes. And what he says is that what will happen at Pentecost is what happened. And Peter then makes sure that the people don't miss the connection because they, they preach the gospel and a bunch of people hear it. There, there's these tongues of fire that rest on their heads and they speak this kingdom call of repentance and joining in the way of Jesus. And it's in every language imaginable who are gathered in, um, in Jerusalem for Pentecost, which is a, a Jewish celebration which is the, the first harvest. They've all gathered in Jerusalem for the Pentecost day, the Pentecost service. And then Peter steps forward with 11 other apostles, and they shouted to the crowd, verse 14 of chapter 2, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about it, these people are not drunk, as some of you have assumed. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. And they responded, It's five o'clock somewhere. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will, 
I will lavish, pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. Now that's radical. Men and women alike, they will prophesy, and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter is seeing this fulfilled in Pentecost. The good news is proclaimed out loud in the language of the people. Do you see this? The oracles were meant to be for the people. And this is the democratization of access to God where the Holy Spirit comes and he proclaims the kingdom in every tongue to every person. This is the new reality of the age of God's kingdom. The primary message of the kingdom coming in Jesus' reign over death is still the primary word of God. And so when you hear God's voice, it sounds a lot like my kingdom has come. My will will be done in your life as it is in heaven. Repent, join in the way of the kingdom by believing the good news. It becomes supernaturally normal. Do you, do you see how in this passage it says that the Holy Spirit will flood out in a way where his everyday voice will be an everyday kind of thing? It's, you're not going to have to wait years and years and hundreds of years for a prophet to come along and be the one who hears God's voice and speaks it and enacts it. It's going to become an everyday, supernaturally ordinary kind of thing, and it's going to be accompanied by the kingdom breaking in through signs and wonders of people being healed, of lives being given to broken and dead people. It's going to be filled with lost people being found. This is what happens when the Spirit flows out. It's going to be available to everyone who believes. All sons and daughters of the King have this role of listening to His voice. And that we will be the kind of priestly prophets that God meant for His priests to be. Once you pay attention to His voice. And we see in the New Testament epistles lots and lots of God revealing Himself more completely as the Spirit brings revelation. We saw in the book of Ephesians this winter that God had this, um, what, what did Paul say, this secret that He had hidden before creation that God would make for Himself one people out of all people. Paul was still hearing the revelation of God's plan and purpose through his spirit. That's why he spoke that. And this is what it should look like for, for us living as priests in this kingdom age. We hear from God and we do what he says. This is what Jesus said as he was preparing his disciples in John chapter 12. He says, when you see me, you're seeing the one who sent me. Okay, he is the priest who is enacting the work of the Father. I have come as a light to shine in the dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will judge those who hear me but don't obey me. For I have come to save the world and not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth that I have spoken. Now, this is, this is an important piece. Primarily, prophecy today is not about judgment. There is a judgment that is coming. There is a judgment in the final day. And now is the invitation to join in the kingdom to avoid judgment. But our voice is not that of judgment. That is the Holy Spirit's work. He will do it to every single person who looks upon the Father. We will feel the appropriate amount of, of 
separation or shame from the Father. We will feel the appropriate amount of guilt because we enter into God's presence. That's not our role as God's people. Even Jesus says, that's not my, my role now. It's coming in the future. And then he says this, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded what to say and how to say it, and I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. This is God's people. We say what God tells us to say. I don't know about you, but I say a lot of things. <laughs> and very few of them are things that the Father tells me to say. Most of the things I say and most of the things I do are things that I want to do and things that I want to say. But Jesus lived in a way where he was completely committed and connected to the Father in a way that everything he did was true of what the Father wanted and what the Father did. So today, we're going to do a little bit of practice of listening to God's voice. Next week, we're going to dive in a little bit to how do we discern between God's voice and our voice and the voice of darkness in the world. And I think it's pretty simple, but we're going to do that next week. Today, I'm going to invite the worship band to come up, and Bob is going to come forward, and we're going to do some listening prayer. And that listening prayer is going to be time where we together are present to God, listening to his voice and we are going to pay attention and grab hold of the things he's called us to. So, Bob, come on up. I think for many of us, listening prayer might at first seem like an oxymoron because our definition of prayer is we speak to God but there's a whole different type of prayer that we can practice, that of listening to his voice. So I want to invite you uh, at this time to just quiet yourself to as much as you can sitting next to someone in a room full of people to get alone with God. If you need to close your eyes, that's great. If you want to look up, look down. Just take a moment. Take a deep breath and let's spend some time listening to God as I guide us through this. Psalm 85, 8 says, I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying, for he speaks peace to his faithful people. teaching us to pray, Jesus told us first to approach God as a good father. So the question is, what do you need to hear from God today? He is speaking his words and his words bring peace. So take a moment and listen to what your good father is saying to you.
Jesus taught us to pray that God's kingdom would come, but too often we assume that we know what that means, what that looks like. So take a moment to ask God how he wants you to pray for our world. Ask him what he wants to do in these different places that have grabbed your attention, these these trouble spots in our world. Ask him what he would like to do. Listen for his voice. God's kingdom could radically reshape our city. Take a moment and ask God what he wants to do here in the Treasure Valley. And more importantly, what your part in that might be. And then just listen. primary ways that God's kingdom comes is through communities of people just like this one. So take a moment to ask God what he wants to do here at Redemption Hill in this community and what your part might be. And then listen. God's kingdom could radically reshape your home, your workplace, the block on which you live. 
So take some time and ask God what he wants to see happen in those places, in those spaces, and what your part might be. And then listen. Jesus taught us to pray and ask for our daily needs, but often we don't actually know what we need. So would you take a moment and ask God what he wants to give you in this season of your life? What he wants to give you even right now in this moment. Jesus taught us to pray for forgiveness and to offer that same forgiveness we receive to others. Would you take some time and ask God to point out the areas in your life where forgiveness is needed? Both where you need to ask for it and where you need to offer it. Speaking of forgiveness, God knows your areas of weakness, those areas of temptation. Would you listen as he speaks to you about them?
finally, the enemy would like nothing more than to keep you from continuing to listen to God, to keep you from hearing God's voice. Take a moment and listen to your good Father who loves you, who invites you into his kingdom, who provides for you, forgives you, guides you. Take a moment and listen to what he is saying to you about what growing in hearing his voice could look like in your life. How that might play out in this next season as you learn to listen. Jesus set a table for his disciples and he offered them wine and bread and he told them that these were symbols of what he was doing for them, of this new covenant, this new agreement between God and man. Gospel of John, John begins it by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and he's talking about Jesus. He says, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This morning, if your desire is to hear the voice of God in your life, if you want to know Jesus, the ultimate representation of God's voice, Would you come to this table? Would you take the wine or the juice? Would you take the bread? Would you receive it? And in doing so, say to God, God, I want, I want to hear your word. I want to take it in. And I want to take it with me as I go. Would you speak to me? to hear. I want to invite you. We've been doing communion in a couple different ways over the past few weeks, but I want to invite you to be less polite today. I think often we come and we stand in line and we wait for the person in front of us and then we come up. I want to invite you to, uh, to just bum rush the table. We're a community. We come shoulder to shoulder with friends, with spouses, with our microchurches. Come gather around. Receive what God is offering to you. Come if you want. Let's see. Thanks for listening to our weekly podcast. 
make sure to subscribe to get them in your podcast feed. You can find ways to connect with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection. Fill out the form for a free gift from us. We care about you and want to help you find your way back to God. Follow at Redemption Boise on Instagram for regular encouragement.